Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Hey, we're trying something new. We're going to get high tech today. Uh, so hopefully you'll be able to see this. Getting this TV helped me realize just how dark the rest of the room is. Like this is a really bright and it's made me realize that when I couldn't see up here all this time, I thought it was just my eyes. Well, maybe it might actually be the light. But welcome. We are, as you turn to Isaiah chapter 9, we are starting a new series that we are just simply calling Christmas Light. Uh, it's a play on words. It's a cheesy joke. Christmas lights. Not lights, but Christmas light. I got the idea from a professor. So us nerds, we, we like good pastor uh, titles. And so Christmas light is the series. And we want to talk about the idea that Jesus is the Christmas light. As we finish Thanksgiving, we pray that you had a great Thanksgiving as we transition into Advent season and focusing in on Christmas and the coming of Christ, we just want to take a moment. I want to take us through just a four-week series as we look at the various places in Scripture that talk about Jesus as the light. And so if you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 9, beginning of verse 1, I am reading from a different version just because Isaiah is pretty poetic and I just felt like this uh, version, the Christian Standard Bible, just made it a little easier to understand. And so Isaiah chapter 1, you can follow along in your Bibles in front of you or on the screen. Isaiah 9.1, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times, when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the lands of the east of the Jordan, and to the Galilee of the nations." The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at the harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod of their, of their soldier shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian." For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. Verse 6. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, the Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and cover his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of the armies will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. As we look at this, I want you to begin to think about this idea of light and darkness. One of the, the I guess, illustrations or memories that come to my mind was uh, right after high school, I spent four months living in Brazil, and I lived out in a village and in the village, electricity was uh, spotty at best. There'd be moments we would have electricity. There'd be moments that the electricity would go out. And I remember the first night that the electricity went out, I was, it, was, it was rather hilly. And my house that I was staying in was up on the side of a hill. And when the electricity went out, I remember walking outside. And I think it was probably the first time in my entire life where I could not see light of any kind. It was completely dark. I couldn't see down the hill. I could barely see in front of me. I, it was that moment like I, I like moved my hand in front of my face and 
and not seen that. Maybe you've done that in a house or in a closet or something. Maybe you can think of a similar situation. But it was a little bit scary because I was in a place that was somewhat foreign to me. I was in a place where I, I couldn't see in front of me and I had no flashlight and I had no way to, to orchestrate light. It's one thing to be in darkness and know that you have a light source. It's another thing to be in darkness with no light source. I have family in town for Thanksgiving, grateful for that. And uh, we were, uh, my wife and her brother and uh, his wife were going out to eat on Friday, Friday night. And so I was looking for restaurants. Fascinating. Google this. Google, Google sightless restaurants. I discovered it when I was looking at fun restaurants with things to do. There are restaurants that are completely black. There are just no lights whatsoever. Or if they do have a little bit of light, they put a blindfold on you as you eat. The idea is twofold, I discovered, because I was fascinated by it. I kept doing a little bit of research. Is that one, that it helps you kind of the senses, they say, of your taste buds are heightened by not being able to see the food. And two, they started actually, the, some of the first ones came from Europe as a fundraiser for the blind. Is that the wait staff was blind, and so it was an experience to understand what that may look like. I came across an article of a journalist who was talking about these restaurants, um, and he said this the first time he went. He said, I came to this moment where I felt panicked by the utter darkness and the inability to see my own hand while waving it in front of my face. He said, I heard a glass crash to the floor from a nearby table, just like you might have heard before at a restaurant, but he said not being able to see anything, the reaction was much more heightened. Since there was no lights of any kind, if you needed to go to the restroom, you had to have someone escort you. He said, you would never imagine how difficult it is to eat when you don't know where anything is on your plate. I give those illustrations because I want us to think about the idea of darkness and what darkness does. There are four truths as we walk through this text, as we look at this. And the first one I want us to see is simply the advent of light. I use this word intentionally because of the Christmas season as opposed to the coming of light or the reality of light or even the anticipation of light, but all of those would be equally true. When we think about the word Advent, Advent is simply the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. When we talk about the Christmas season, it's called Advent because it is the story, or better yet, the historical events of a notable person whose name is Jesus who has arrived on the scene. When we look at Isaiah chapter uh, 9, verse 2, the text is the people walking in darkness. And I want you to notice I intentionally outlined it this way so you could see the structure that is often common in Hebrew poetic language. And it's simply the structure of, a, of what is called a chiasm that goes like this. And it emphasizes that which is at its point. And so it starts by saying the people walk in darkness, and you can see they have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. It's an intentional poetic device to emphasize the reality of utter darkness. And what we are talking about is the coming of light, the advent of light. The hope of Isaiah chapter 9, for those reading it and listening to it as Isaiah is speaking is the hope of in the midst of darkness, there is utter light. It's no different than the moments where you are maybe at this sightless restaurant and the the journalist said, I felt so desperate in the darkness, I went up to use the restroom just so I could go into a room with light. 
It's that, it's that angst of utter darkness, having a lack of control and not being able to see. Well, this was the situation that Israel was in. Isaiah is writing during a time where the Assyrians and Babylonians are coming and conquering the northern kingdom as well as the southern kingdom over a span of a century. It's a time of oppression. It's a time of darkness. It even says later when it gives a reference uh, to just like in the day of Midian, which is a reference to Judges chapter 7 where Gideon, God uses Gideon to bring uh, freedom to God's people. Isaiah is writing about the freedom. It's a season of utter darkness, and it's pointing to this moment that light is coming. And I want us to see that the advent of light and the impact that it has in our lives, which leads simply to truth number two. What is the impact of light? Verse two tells us the advent of light is coming, but then verses three through five tells us the impact of that light. Let's look at verse three. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. Now remember, in the context, they are what? They're being oppressed. In the context, Isaiah's writing in which the land is being attacked and conquered. And here, they're saying when the light comes, what will be the result or the impact of that light? It will enlarge the nation. When you are talking in the context of war, when you're talking in the context of kingdom, enlarging of the nation represents prosperity. It represents victory. And because of that victory, joy is coming. That's why a lot of times we talk about Christmas even as a joyous season. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at the harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. It's like a major payday. It's when you've conquered a land and now everything in that land is yours. The joy that comes from the victorious party as they divide the spoils that comes their way. That what was someone else's is now yours. This is the picture. I don't know what a modern day illustration might uh, particularly look like for us. Maybe it's a, a Christmas bonus. Some of us are praying for that. Maybe coming Christmas, you may have a job where you're in sales and there's a Christmas bonus that may come your way. Or maybe it's a, a major, uh, like winning the lottery or something, where all of a sudden you just have this abundance that you didn't have before. This is the picture and the imagery of the impact of what's happening for God's covenant people when what? The light comes into their life. Look at verse 4. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke. Remember, they're in the context of captivity. You have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders. The staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. This is reference to Gideon and Judges chapter 7. For every trampling foot. Now, this is an interesting phrase. What does this mean? For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garment of war will be burned as the fuel for the fire. Now, if fire is one of your main sources of light, main sources of heat, main sources of power that you might have in your town or in your home. When you burn something, you're burning that which you don't need. Yes? Right? If, if you need your clothes to wear, you're probably not going to burn them. Why? Because you can't get it back. If you're burning wood, you're not going to get that wood back. And the idea is that when the light comes, the impact of light on God's covenant people is that they're going to bring victory and joy and abundance and all the battle that was in our past will be burned because it is no longer needed. My boots are no longer needed. My bloody clothing is no longer needed because victory has come. The battle is 
behind us. Do you see why Isaiah's writing in verse 2, the goodness of light coming in darkness. The impact of it means life for God's covenant people. The impact means of it that there's no longer an oppressive yoke of slavery on them. There's no longer a rod of burden that is on their shoulders. No longer an oppressor in their life. But victory has come. Now, we understand that Jesus is, as we're going to see, we're talking about this because of the coming of Jesus and what this means in the Christian faith. But even for Israel in this time, they looked forward to the moments where the Messiah would bring them victory. They were looking forward to the moment of a literal breaking of oppression. And as we look to the fulfillment of this in Christ, we are not just looking for the freedom from a physical oppression, but we understand much greater that Jesus comes and brings a freedom from an oppression that is far greater than just this physical world, but it's that of spiritual darkness. And this leads us to the question of who is the light in the text? See, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 9 says that there is darkness. Light is coming. Here is the impact of that light. There's freedom. There's hope. There's joy. There's no longer slavery to that which is oppressing you. But then he goes on to answer the question, who is the person of the light? Now, before we look at the text to answer the question, I want us to frame this answer in what are some answers that we might come up with, let's say, if we didn't have this text. Now, we have the text, and it's going to answer the question. But the reality is that every single one of us, if we look into the depths of our hearts, are fighting some type of oppression. Now, there's literal oppressions in various ways, but there's a burden in our heart that all of us are trying to deal with. And the answers to how this gets dealt with in all cultures and in all times and all places is one of two things. It's either escapism or the answer is insufficient. What do I mean by escapism? Let me give an example. Eastern religions, for example, Buddhism, says that what? That this world is of pain and hurt. It's similar to an ancient um, belief known as Gnosticism as well that basically said this. And we have various forms play out, even though we don't call it Gnosticism anymore. But it says that that which is physical is bad and that which is spiritual is good. And Buddhism says something similar. And what it says is the pain in the physical world is hurting you and it's your job to get away from it. And if you do this, 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 and this, and you do these various things, you can reach what? Nirvana. You can find this place of joy. You notice they're trying to answer a problem. Answer the, they recognize the problems there by escaping the problem. They're trying to recognize, hey, we recognize there are darkness in this world and we want to escape it by running away or doing these various things. You and I do the same thing. We see this play out maybe not in just other religions, but we play this out maybe in alcohol or drugs or maybe in our careers. In other ways that we're trying to escape maybe hurt that is in our life. And so what we try to do is we run away from it. We just want to escape it for a moment. And so what do we do? We may find ways to treat that depression and that hurt and that bondage. I just need to get away for a moment. Now, there's some forms of good escape. I, we all need vacations. We all need moments where we get away. But there's a deeper issue that's being referenced here is that all of us are because of, Scripture teaches that because of sin, we are born into darkness. And it doesn't take much for us to look around and no one's arguing whether there's darkness in this world around us. And if we're honest with ourselves when we look in the mirror, we're not 
struggling to say there's darkness even in my heart. But the question is, where is the source of light within that darkness? We understand from the text that when light comes, that the impact of that light is freedom. But what is the source of that light? Is it going to be something of this world that we seek to escape? Or is it going to be something, as I said, second, all other options, if it's not escapism, it tries to address it straight on, and it's insufficient. I want to take a moment and talk about something that sometimes I think we misunderstand why the church has different stances on when it comes to various forms of social justice. Let me give an example. I want to be careful here because I don't want to be misunderstood. Sometimes we look at social justice issues and we go, these are good issues. Why at times does the church maybe not agree with certain social justice response or certain things? And here, here's the reason why. It's because we look at social justice needs where we're looking at dealing with a need, whether it be through a government reform, whether it be through a nonprofit organization stepping into poverty or stepping into racism or stepping into various issues and say, hey, this is a problem and we want to fix this. The church sits here and says, yes, absolutely, we agree that's the problem. But if the impact, which is freedom, which is answers, which is a solution to the problem, is devoid or separated from the person of Jesus, it always ends up being insufficient. Let me give an example. I'm reading a a biography on Martin Luther. Grateful for this. Uh, I'm a part of uh, uh, evangelical homiletic society, and we're coming to Memphis in a couple of years, and so I'm working on a paper on Martin Luther uh, King Jr. and and preaching in Memphis and various things. And um, so I'm reading a biography on him, and and I'll, we want to rightfully so herald Martin Luther King Jr. And one of the reasons why is because he had what he spoke into social issues on the foundation of the gospel. See. I want you to hear me say as the church, yes to social justice issues. But if we separate social justice issues from the source of life, Jesus Christ, then it ends up being insufficient. This is why a government answer will always be insufficient. This is why the church stands up and says, yes, plus Jesus. But a lot of our culture wants to say yes without Jesus. This is the culture we live in today. This is the culture that says, yes, we want good morality. Yes, we want life. Yes, we want to treat people equally. But we want to do that under the philosophy of naturalism that says through evolution, we are the way we are and that no one has any right to tell me what to do with my life. Well, under that reality, where do you get morality from? See, because through evolution, there is no such thing as morality. See, all moral values must be linked to a moral giver which is the person of Jesus Christ. And if we claim moral truths without linking them to a moral giver, then we have no basis for moral truth. Therefore, our culture will look at issues and say, here's the answer, but leave Jesus out of it. And if you do that, you have no basis for your answer. And this is why we would say that all answers to issues are either an escapism, let me just run away from the issue, or if we try to give an answer, is insufficient. Why? Because there is just one light in this world. I mentioned families in, in t- is in town, and I went and picked them up at the airport, and we were driving home, and we came across this house that my brother-in-law said, hey, look at that Christmas light. It was a singular light that was shining on the house, and we made fun of it. We are like, man, they didn't put much effort into that. They literally put up one Christmas light. I was like... 
at least, well, I've made fun of them, then I realized, well, I haven't put up any, so uh, who, who am I to make fun of them? But the more I thought about this, uh, I thought, they're actually kind of genius. And this is what I'm going to use for my wife the next time she asks me to put up lights. There is only one Christmas light, and his name is Jesus. And, inst- and that picture of the Christmas light, even though it was a simple, they're like, hey, let me just put up a light. But the truth is, there is only one Christmas light. There is not a number of answers to the problems in the darkness in this world. But see, when we define darkness, darkness is what? The absence of light. You you can't have darkness and light and choose to what? Light doesn't exist from the absence of darkness. Darkness exists from the absence of light. And so if we want to bring light to darkness, we must find who the light source is. And this is where we come to the text. It says what? The light for a child will be born for us. Reference to Jesus. This is a text that the New Testament authors for hundreds of years were waiting on. And when it came, they recognized that this is Jesus. The person of light is a person. His name is Jesus. He's a child, first of all. A son will be given to us. In reference, we understand now later theologically, reference to the son the person of the Trinity. So, so let, me, uh, let me write this if we can. Um, I lost my screen. Here we go. So a child. So who is the person of light? He's a child. Two, he's a ruler. Look what the text says. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And what? The government will be on his shoulders. So we have one who is coming, will be born as a child, who will be our, a king, who will, the government will be on his shoulders. But listen to this, he won't just be any ruler, but the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. It will be a kingdom that is never ending. And he will reign on the throne of David. This is a fulfillment of the Messiah, the messianic truth that there will be one from David who will reign. And listen to this, and he will establish and sustain what? Justice and righteousness. We were just talking about social justice. And again, we want to affirm where social justice reaches into the world and says, yes, let's find solutions to the problems we see, because we would agree there are problems in this world. But we want to see that true justice comes through the light source. And so when it comes down to it, the question isn't, is there darkness? Yes, there's darkness. That's understood. Do we understand the impact that light has on darkness? Go into a dark room and then allow light to what? Shine, to see, to understand. We understand the impact of light. That's not in question. The question is, what is the source of light? And this is the Christian faith, and this is the gospel message, that there is no source other than the person of Jesus. And in the Old Testament, all the way into the New Testament, this truth is realized as they look to Jesus as the one who will rule justly and righteously. He is a good God. When you separate the impact of light from the person of light, the results will always be insufficient. So the question, as you think about this, is where do you need light in your life? This is a message that is true for our culture, for our world, no doubt about it. But it's a message that is true for us. I need light in my life. I need light in various areas of my life. Where do you as well? And what is the answer? That, what is the source of that light? 
Uh, I want to end with simply truth number four, the promise of light. This is the title of today's sermon, The Promise of Light, because what? It's an Old Testament text that is foreshadowing the coming of the Messiah. It's a text that is written to Israel to say a promise. Again, I just want to look back at this, and I want you to notice the future tense. Will be born, will be given, will be on his shoulders, will be named Wonderful Counselor, will be vast, And it will never end, and he will reign, all future tense. This is a promise of hope, that no matter what the darkness is, and no matter how dark it gets, light is coming. And we know this because we live on the other side of the cross of Jesus, that we have the full writing of the New Testament, that we understand that this light is Jesus. And so for you and I, as we live in this world today, and as we live in darkness in this culture, And in this world and in the wars around us globally and in the the suffering and the hatred and the divides that are not only in our culture, but are even at times in families, in friendships, in our workplaces and in our hearts. We're reminded that no matter how dark it is, that there is a promise that light has come. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we celebrate Christ is because what? Christ has come. But here's the truth about the Advent season. We don't just celebrate the promise of Isaiah that Christ will come in Matthew, Mark, Luke in that first century. But we understand because we have the rest of Scripture that we also celebrate at Advent to celebrate that Christ has come. But there's a promise that Christ will come again. And you and I are not just reading back on history the promise that Christ would come, but we're also looking forward in history to the promise that Christ will come again. And so as we celebrate the Advent, I want you to hear that Christ will come again. And in fact, he says that if anybody who calls upon me, who confesses their sin, will be saved, and I will come and, paraphrasing a little bit, Romans chapter eight, will come and make residence in your heart. Do you need light to shine in your heart today? Might you turn to Jesus and allow him to shine? I wanna end with a story that I read a few weeks ago George Truett was a pastor in Texas um, in the 19th century. He pastored uh, a church in Dallas and at the time was the largest uh, church, at least in the Western world. And he tells this story in one of his sermons about this girl. And let me just read this story and I'll apply it to today's truth. He tells the story that years ago in South Texas, there was a home out in the country that burned. And remember, this is in the country of Texas in the mid-1800s, and so calling a firefighter to be there quickly was not always an option. And because of that, the entire house burned, and sadly, the entire family was killed except for a 10-year-old little girl who survived. Although she survived, she was burned greatly. She was sent to a Christian uh, foster home or orphanage known as Buckner Orphan House. She was advised uh, where to go. She was put on a train. And then the gentleman who ran the house was told what time she would arrive. And so she, she showed up on the train. She came out. And Buckner tells the story. George Truett actually is telling the story because he was there when, uh, in the event that's about to happen. But he tells the story where Mr. Buckner sees her and she's been crying as a 10-year-old girl going to a new home who's lost everything. She gets there and they meet and she just weeps and 
And so she gets a part of the orphanage, and there's dozens of children's, uh, children at this orphanage. And George Stewart tells a story. He'd go and visit the orphanage, and a peculiar thing would happen is that when Mr. Buckner would come back from traveling or we'd come into a room, that the kids would go up and give him a hug. And the kids would hug him, and they would kiss him on the cheek, and he'd kiss them on the cheek, and he was just an affectionate, loving guy. But he tells the story of this this 10-year-old girl who he noticed one time never went and hugged or kissed him. And so he asked the question, you know, curious of why do you not go and uh, hug Mr. Buckner? And she made this statement and she said, because I can't be loved because of my scars. True story. Mr. Buckner hears the story and what he does is he walks up to her and he just begins to kiss her all over her scars. And he tells her that her scars and her past does not affect how he loves her. Now, I remember reading this story in a sermon that had nothing to do with our sermon, but I I just reflected on this truth that I think many of us, because of the darkness in our lives, we have scars. We have scars that have been done to us, and we have scars that we've done ourselves. But we live with scars, and I think many times we're in that darkness, and sometimes we feel like because we're in that darkness that the light can't shine into our hearts. And might you, if that your heart is saying the same thing that this little girl said, that because of my scars and darkness, light cannot come forth. Might you see that Jesus, very much so in a similar way, illustratively, wants to grab a hold of you and kiss your scars, wants to bring light into darkness, because see what? Darkness is the absence of light. But when light comes, darkness has no choice but to flee. Jesus is the promised light of our lives that dispels all darkness. Might you turn to him and let his light shine in your heart. Let's pray. Jesus, we reflect on this truth that you are our King and Lord. We celebrate this truth that when darkness was great, your light shined forth through the person of your Son, the Father, your Son, Jesus Christ, who was born of the flesh as a baby, and light came forth. That light entered into this darkness to bring salvation in the darkness, to shine light within darkness. And I know that, Jesus, our world needs that light to shine, not only outside of these walls, but even now in these walls in our hearts. So I pray that if there's anybody who's in despair in that darkness, that Jesus, your light would shine forth into their hearts, that your saving grace would shine forth, that they would recognize, I myself included, that I need your light to shine in my heart. I cannot escape the darkness on my own, and I cannot solve the darkness on my own. It's insufficient. But instead, I just need to turn to the light giver and allow your light to shine in our hearts. I pray that that would be true in this room, Jesus. So church family, I ask you this question. Do you need the light to shine in your heart? And understand that that light is a person and his name is Jesus. Would you turn to him as Lord and Savior? Would you surrender to him and say, Jesus, I need you today. Would you, would you shine your victory? Would you shine your joy in my life? Would you break the oppression of sin and guilt and shame in my life, my scars, 
Would you break those things and bring joy and victory into my life? Would you bring salvation and healing into my life? Would you turn to the person of light, Jesus Christ, and allow him to shine light into your dark heart in places that needs his light to dispel darkness? Lord, would you do that in my heart? I turn to you as my Lord and Savior. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.